This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Craig Kopp, reporting that you could hear a pin drop on the floor of the Senate during some of the debate over the so-called Don't Say Gay Bill. Democrat Chevron Jones truly moved the chamber in debate. Whatever this bill is supposed to do, let that bill do it. Let's do that. But like the Hippocratic Oath says, please do no harm. Democrat Chevron Jones truly moved the chamber in debate. House Democratic leadership calls tweets by the governor's press secretary equating opposition to HB 1557 with pedophilia pathetic. It is uh, pathetic uh, to go out and demonize a minority. Democratic House Leader Evan Jenny says this kind of rhetoric is dangerous, too. The governor and his Surgeon General were talking COVID today and how the establishment mishandled the pandemic. These people had no idea what they were talking about. Ron DeSantis held a big online roundtable where we learned that Florida will not be recommending vaccinations for healthy kids. More goodbyes in the state house. Every minute on this floor and process has been a gift. Republicans Aaron Bean and President Wilton Simpson have their farewells. And gas prices skyrocket. So right now the Florida state average is above $4 a gallon for the first time since 2008, which is, you know, a 14-year high. Sunrise Talks with AAA Florida. But first, the Florida Senate passed the Parental Rights in Education Bill. That's what sponsors call it. Opponents call it the Don't Say Gay Bill because of its language prohibiting discussion of sexual orientation in grades K through 3 and limiting discussion of it going forward. There were a lot of amendments put forward by Democrats to soften the language. None of them were adopted. During the lengthy debate, Democratic Senator Jason Pizzo got down to the words that have fueled controversy over this legislation from the very start. Just ask you a very simple question. Can you define for me what gender identity is? Senator Baxley, you recognize? No, I think that's pretty well defined in the culture. Senator Pizzo, you recognize? I don't, Madam President, I don't know what culture he's referring to. I'm just asking, I'm not being flippant. I'm asking a very simple question because maybe I'm not understanding it. Can Senator Baxley, please, would you define what gender identity means? Senator Baxley, you recognize? I don't have a prepared definition for you. Senator Pizzo, you recognize? Thank you, Madam President. Senator Baxley, can you tell me what sexual orientation means? Senator Baxley, you recognize? Well, I don't know if that's a question about the bill or not. I mean, I'm not interested in going through a dialogue where you're cross-examining me and leading me down some trail. But if you have some question, I'm ready to get the experts here for you and try to define that. Senator Pizzo, you recognize? Madam President, line 98 uses the term sexual orientation as well as gender identity. I'm just wondering if, because I didn't, saw the DOE analysis a couple mornings ago, which also doesn't treat that. I'm just wondering if a material and substantive term, which has been the subject of, I don't know, 15 amendments, as to whether or not the bill sponsor can just simply define for me gender identity or sexual orientation. Anybody should jump in. Senator Baxley, you're recognized. I'll turn it over to my lawyer. Senator Burgess, you're recognized. 
Thank you, Madam Chair, and thank you for the confidence, Senator Baxley. Um, you know, and I'm not telling you anything you don't know, Senator Pizzo. In the absence of a clearly defined uh, word within, say, the, the bill or the statute that we're proposing, obviously the plain meaning of that word would apply. Senator, Senator Pizzo, you recognize? Thank you, Madam President. So, Senator Burgess, can you define for me sexual orientation? Senator Burgess, you recognized? Madam Chair, thank you. Um, I'm not looking to define what sexual sexual. The, I'm not looking to define sexual orientation. I'm looking to explain that in the based on legal uh, policy and rule that and and precedent and in, in context, the plain meaning of a word would apply, and it's the plain meaning rule. I mean, it's something we we learn pretty regularly within the law. Senator Pizzo. Thank you, Madam President. Let me throw out a possible definition, and you tell me if I'm warm or not. Sexual orientation might be someone who is heterosexual or homosexual. Does that sound accurate? Senator Burgess. Thank you, Madam Chair. Actually, Senator Pizzo, thank you very much because I agree with that. I agree that orientation would, and, and we talked about this in terms of, in the context of Senator Brandis's amendment, and the reason why I feel comfortable supporting this bill is that I don't believe that it targets heterosexual only or homosexual only. Earlier, the chamber came to a solemn stop as Democrat Chevron Jones, an openly gay man, offered an amendment to soften those words and talked about the courage of young people who came to the Capitol to protest against the bill. So my dad, uh, who is an amazing human being, uh, he wrote a book um, not too long ago. And the book that my, my, my dad wrote, it was inspiring. Most of you know my dad's a pastor down in uh, South Florida. Uh, the book that my dad wrote was inspired by the loss of my brother. But then as I continued to read the introduction of my dad's book for the first time, he just came out about three weeks ago, it was also speaking about his disappointment. It was my dad talking about, it was my dad talking about his disappointment after me. After taking 30 years of just wanting to make him, him and my mom proud and just coming out and just saying who I am. And so when I see these kids, I don't think y'all understand how much courage it takes for these children to show up every day. Just imagine living your life for 30 years and you coming to your parents and, and you talking about who you are. And you're lying to them about who you are. I never wanted to disappoint my dad. And I even told him to watch this today. I don't think y'all understand that even rerunning for office, it was, it was difficult because people calling your names, people saying things to you. And all you want to do is serve. I never knew that living my truth would, uh, would cause church members to leave my dad's church or friends to stop talking to me or families to make jokes about who you are. In my heart, I don't believe any of you in here, my colleagues, many of who I've known for years, I believe that we all want to do right. And I, but it seems as if politics has we have gone down a road to where we're scared to just step out to make sure we're not hurting people. But I will tell you all, 
it's a lot of noise that's happening in politics right now. And as the first person to ever serve in this chamber, to have to, to make sure I speak up and tell truth about, not about just who I am, about the noise that you hear outside. It's, it's a joyful noise for these children to be out there. Like I'm proud to serve with each and every last one of you. Whatever direction you decide to go on this bill, it doesn't make you a bad person. But I ask that, that you open up your hearts just a tad bit. And don't think about whether or not you could get reelected or not. And as a Christian, I could have lost my faith in me coming out. But I didn't. Somebody asked me, I did a an interview last week, and they said, why have you, why, why do you keep going back to the same church? And I told them that God is all I have. And I promise you all, <laughs> some thoughts ran through my mind after I lost my brother because I never got a chance to tell him. So I ask you all, whatever this bill is supposed to do, let that bill do it. Let's do that. But like the Hippocratic Oath says, please do no harm. There was plenty of other debate, but what Jones said and how he said it will certainly be remembered in Florida legislative history. HB 1557 is now set for a Senate vote. Before the Senate debate began on the Parents' Rights and Education Bill, the Capitol was still abuzz about the weekend tweets of the governor's press secretary, Christina Pushaw, in which she called opponents of the measure groomers or supporters of groomers, people who prepare kids for abuse by pedophiles. Governor Ron DeSantis' chief spokesperson declared that the Don't Say Gay bill was the anti-grooming bill. She accused anyone who opposes it of a conspiracy to assault children. So let me just repeat that. The governor's office, in a series of rage tweets yesterday, accused every teacher, every guidance counselor, every administrator, and LGBTQ parent working to create safe schools where all families are welcome. She accused them of complicity in a conspiracy to groom and assault students. Floridians must see the toxic politics coming from this capital. Yesterday, the governor's office said the quiet part out loud. They said that this bill is grounded in a belief that LGBTQ people simply by existing are a threat to children and must be erased. Governor DeSantis, you own these despicable comments. House Democratic leader Evan Jenny spent much of his weekly news briefing on the push tweets. Unfortunately, what we've seen and really it's it extended into Twitter uh, this past weekend, uh, the rhetoric is unfortunately ratcheting up uh, past rhetoric, I would say, at this point uh, and entered into a world uh, of really uh, cruelty, um, reviving tropes um, uh, from uh, the 1940s and 30s. 
uh, and trying to demonize an entire group of people uh, with lies, with with outright lies. Um, and I think some of that, in fact, really happened uh, because some people got made fun of on Saturday Night Live. Uh, so we had some some of that uh, bubble up to the surface. Um, and really saw a government employee, make no mistake, we saw a government employee uh, make a uh, huge declaration about what this bill really was about uh, and just decided to completely lie through their front teeth. Jenny used one word several times to describe the Pushaw tweets, pathetic. It is uh, pathetic uh, to go out and demonize a minority. Uh, in order to satisfy the political whims and ambitions of one individual. I think it's pathetic on any level, uh, but given the fact why it's being done uh, is just a sad commentary on where we are in politics today, uh, that uh, a government employee would be willing to risk the safety of millions of Floridians in order to rile a specific segment of society up and say, look how mean and cruel we are to these people, because that's all this is. And that's all that's really coming out of certain people's mouths at this point. Uh, I find their behavior pathetic. Uh, I find them sad um, that they have so little in their own lives uh, that the only thing that gives them gratification is to lash out at people that are different than them. Um, yeah, no. So uh, uh, some of this, some of the some of the rhetoric around it uh, is pathetic uh, and most of it is very dangerous. Um, so I would ask that those people uh, in this building uh, take a look at themselves uh, and realize the reason that they're unhappy probably has something to do with the person staring back at them in the mirror. Pushaw told the Florida Phoenix that the tweets were on her personal account and that she was tweeting off work hours. She actually said a lot more than that, but it's more the same. And, well, we'll just leave it at that. Governor Ron DeSantis held a big online roundtable on COVID and how the establishment blew the handling of the pandemic. It was called the Curtain Close on COVID Theater. DeSantis and Surgeon General Joseph Latipo took note that it's the second anniversary of the day the CDC launched a program to stop the spread in 15 days. Both mocked how that worked out. And Latipo said that it was a battle the bureaucrats lost. You know, individual rights and individual choice and truth on one side and really sort of overarching powers, overarching government, abusive powers, abusive data, dishonesty, and frankly, a lot of unethical behavior on the other side. So it's been a, it's been a pleasure to be able to, to contribute to that. And, um, and it's really been, it's been a pleasure to, to be here, even though you might, people might think otherwise, uh, if they only, if they only read news stories. So, yeah, you know, the governor mentioned it's our two year anniversary. I still remember very clearly when people were telling us that, um, including a lot of people with a lot of degrees, were telling us that, you know, 15 days to to slow the, you know, to, to stop the spread and and other uh, other really interesting statements. And I remember my wife and I looking at the newspapers and looking at the the editorial section of The New York Times thinking, what in heaven's name are these people thinking, you know? And sure enough, obviously that's proven to be true that, uh, that these people had no idea what they were talking about. Latipo said the medical establishment has to have its feet held to the fire over what he says was a botched pandemic response. People that have led us to the point that we are, they want us to forget why, how we got here 
And they want us to forget that their choices that they made for everyone were the wrong choices that basically led to no appreciable benefit. And we cannot let them forget. We have to hold them accountable. We have to let, the, let, the, let our country, let the world know what the truth is because it's the right thing to do and because it can happen again if we don't. Thank you. Yeah, the good thing about having Joe as Surgeon General, I really don't have to supervise his daily activities. If CNN's attacking him, I know he's doing the right thing. And- Before the end of the roundtable, Latipo made more news when he said Florida is working on an announcement that the state will not recommend COVID vaccines for healthy kids. One of the bigger personalities of the Florida Senate has reached the end of his career there. Republican Aaron Bean has a big personality and apparently a big sweet spot, which you can hear him hit as he read his favorite Marianne Williamson quote in his farewell remarks. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are more powerful beyond measure. It's our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. You're playing small. When you play small, it doesn't serve the world. We're all meant to shine as children do. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. Every minute on this floor and process has been a gift. I'll forever cherish it. I look forward to seeing each of you, each of you, watching you as a private citizen. Uh, You'll find me climbing another mountain. It will be scary because it will be steep and I've never climbed it before. And I'm sure along the way, you know what they're going to say? They'll say, I'm too old, I'm not credentialed enough, or I'm too slow, but senators, I'm going to be okay. Senate President Wilton Simpson's time in the body is coming to an end, too. He's a much lower-key kind of guy, but was proud to talk about the success under his watch when it comes to the environment. I got a call. I was in the National Geographic, and, or Geographic, and, and they said, um, President Simpson, I want you to give me a few quotes. And they said, first of all, I want to know, um, how did you get Republicans to vote for the, these environmental policies? And I said, I'm not sure what you're talking about. I said, I've served now nine years. I don't think, I think they're all unanimous when we do them here in the Florida Senate. And um, they said, well, but that's not normal in other states. And I said, well, Florida's not actually a very normal state. And um, thank God we weren't in the middle of a pandemic, right? He had said, yeah, I know you are not a normal state. But, um, but the reality is, is that um, we, um, you know, he was just in awe of, of the attention that all 40 of us gave the environment. And they were very interested in the wildlife corridor, and it was just a great honor for them to, to recognize that and the recognizing the bipartisanship at which we do these things. The environment of the Senate chamber changes with Simpson's departure. His portrait will now be hanging there. Here's some of what's happening in Florida politics today. The Senate is scheduled to hold a floor session at 10. The House is scheduled to hold a floor session at 1030. The Senate Special Order Calendar Group will set a special order calendar, which will list bills to be heard on the Senate floor. This happens 15 minutes after the floor session. 
Also, special elections be held in Senate District 33 in Broward County and House District 88 in Palm Beach County. Democrat Rosalind Osgood and Republican Joseph Carter are running for the Senate seat, which opened because former Democratic Senator Perry Thurston ran in a special election for a congressional seat. Democrat Ty Edmonds and Republican Garina Torres are running for the House seat, which opened because former Democratic State Representative Omari Hardy ran for the congressional seat. Polls will be open from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Former State Attorney Aramis Ayala will announce her candidacy for Attorney General of Florida this morning at the Capitol. She made history by becoming the first black female state attorney in Florida's history in the Ninth Judicial Circuit. The Suwannee River Management District Governing Body will meet this morning. The Florida Virtual School Board of Trustees will meet. The University of South Florida Board of Trustees will meet too. The St. John's River Management District Governing Board will meet. The Tallahassee Area Refugee Task Force will meet. And finally, if you've been on a roadway in the past 24 hours or so, you've seen the prices at the pump over $4 a gallon. And it looks like it's still going up. Sunrise talked with AAA's Mark Jenkins about Florida gas prices, why they're going up, and how high they will go. Yeah, I mean, you know, oil prices are extremely erratic right now. Uh, they shot up $24 per barrel last week, which is the equivalent of about a 60 cent swing in prices at the pump. Um, so far, the state average here in Florida has shot up about 50 cents since last week. So we do anticipate another 10 to 15 cents on the way, uh, just based on the recent movements of oil prices. Um, so right now, the Florida state average is above $4 a gallon for the first time since 2008, which is you know, a 14-year high. Um, the average price right now is about $4.01. Uh, and so, you know, to, to help uh, put that in perspective, it, right now it costs about $60 for a full tank of gas in an average 15-gallon tank, which is about 20 bucks more than this time last year. Man, that hurts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I just ate lunch, and now I have indigestion. Um, <laughs> what... What is driving this? Is it, is it the international situation? It is. I mean, it's it's been what's driving. It's what's been driving oil and gas prices since the beginning of 2021. Uh, it's all about global supply and demand. Um, you know, demand has outpaced supply uh, for the past year and a half or so. Um, you know, and, and now with the situation between Russia and Ukraine, it's, it's really, um, you know, exasperating the situation it's making it even worse supplies are much tighter now and there's concerns about you know the russian oil i mean russia is the third largest oil producer in the world and so you start talking about impacting its ability to put its oil on the market then you have concerns about what was already a global supply market that was extremely tight to you know making matters even worse with us yeah and um there's little that can be done on on that level do they it just seems like the war started and the prices went up there's some of us would expect a bit of a lag isn't some of that gas in those tanks gas that came in before the war started you know it, it so it's it's pretty there's a common saying in the fuel market that gas prices rise like a rocket and they fall like a feather and and that's certainly the case here i mean with from a retailer's perspective when you start talking, when you look ahead and you realize that your cost of getting gasoline is 
increasing, then you have to pass that added cost along to consumers. And so, you know, I need, that's that's exactly what we're seeing here. And unfortunately, it's it's pretty common when you see oil prices rise that gas prices typically reflect that increase um, within a few days to a week. And um, so we saw oil prices really shoot up, I think, mid last week. And um, and we're beginning to, to see the fallout from that in, on the retail side. When I was driving around over the weekend, I was seeing the 399 and I said, it's going to cross four here real fast. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, where's it Where's it the worst in the state of Florida and where's it the best in terms of, and there's not really a best, but who's got the highest, who's got the lowest? Who's feeling the, the worst pain and, and who's not quite as bad. So um, down in Monroe County, they're at $4.19. Um, it, it tends to be down in South Florida, and that, and that looks like that's the case right now. Monroe, Monroe County is four nine four nineteen. Uh, Miami Dade is currently at four oh one. Um, Broward County is at four oh three. Uh, Glades County is four oh seven. So anybody still under four? Do I hear under four? Uh, yeah, Polk County, the Highlands, um, Baker County. Liberty, Calhoun up in the panhandle. They're barely below four, but I, I think everybody's going to pretty much go above four by the end of the week, if not tomorrow. You know, we have had just um, uh, an incredible year with tourism and such in the state of Florida. Um, do you think that something like this happening will make people wonder about their spring break plans and such, or will they just kind of figure, well, it's just, you know, it's, it's the cost of having fun. Yeah, I think it's it's more the cost of having fun, especially when you consider the fact that we're coming out of a, a you know a two year pandemic where some people have been staying at home. They may not have traveled as much, you know. Now I think there's a lot of confidence out there with cases on the decline that people are more and more willing and anxious and eager to travel. But uh, you know, gas prices are higher, so in most cases, when we see higher gas prices, it tends to be the case that people are budgeting more toward gasoline and maybe you know cutting back on some of their expenses that they budget for dining out maybe staying in a cheaper hotel or spending a little less on shopping um boy the work from home folks are going to be pushing hard to stay home for a while aren't they (laughs) (laughs) well i'm working from home and i I can tell you i mean it it certainly does um it's it's a different scenario right so the last time that we saw gas prices at this level was back in 2008. So 14 years ago, the the landscape was much different. You know, people weren't able to work virtually. But now, I, I think that the impact of higher gas prices not quite as widespread as at least it was back in 2008, because more people are able to work from home and and are not commuting to and from work uh, every single day. Yeah, it makes it uh, there are fewer people you know getting in their cars and making that commute. So the impact is a little less. Can we peek into the future? You've already given me an indication that we're at least, you know, 10 or so cents a gallon more ahead. What's the read? What's the industry's? What's the buzz? Well, I mean, just looking at oil prices today, I mean, they've, they've taken some wild swings overnight. I mean, going from uh, another $2 a barrel increase to as far as $10 a barrel last night. So, I mean, it, it's been extremely erratic. And, I mean, oil prices just continue to be driven by, you know, headlines in the news of, of you know, what's being considered in regard to sanctions on Russian oil or, or what the case may be. So, 
Um, I, that, that's really the situation right now is it's a day to day, week to week shift. And, and all we can do is, is hold on tight and grit our teeth and just hope for some good news soon. So we have no idea whether this is, we can't, we can't speculate on how long term this sort of, like you said, they rise like a rocket and fall like a feather. So even if things calm down, it's going to be a while before they drop back down. Yeah, I mean, it, so I mean, if we saw like a, a massive drop in the price of crude oil, then you'd see gas prices drop much faster. But I mean, if you saw oil prices drop, I don't know, five, ten bucks, then it'd be more of like a gradual decline in gas prices. Because I think that oftentimes retailers are a little more hesitant to lower their prices because they just don't know if they're going to shoot right back up the next day. So they have to be, I think, a little more competitive and, and um, careful about that. Um, so yeah, I mean. We don't know how long the Russia-Ukraine conflict is going to carry on. Um, We don't know if um, U.S. oil companies are going to start ramping up oil, Um, you know, because I I think that you you have a lot of companies that are out there that are seeing prices as high as they are right now, and it's an opportunity to jump in and make money. Um, But uh, there's just so much uncertainty right now that it's really hard to predict what's going to happen a month from now, let alone next week. Well, I filled up on Friday, <laughs> so <laughs> well, I, I've got to I've got to make that stretch for a while before I feel yeah. that that pain of a, of a full fill up. Uh, Mark Jenkins with AAA, I really appreciate your time today. Thanks so much. Sure thing. Thank you. Happy motoring. That's it for today's edition of Sunrise. I'm Craig Cop. Join us again tomorrow as we do another daily dive into Florida politics.